Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I like old stuff. I like things that, you know, historic things, what, what, things like that. I'm not smart enough to be a historian, but I do appreciate history. And there was this thing yesterday that kind of got some attention that I wasn't aware of. And I think a lot of you probably were aware of it, but it was kind of new to me. So I spent a good bit of time yesterday kind of reading up more about this, learning more about this. And I don't know, it's really cool. And I think it sets us up for kind of a fun conversation about Georgia football here today. So let me start with something that's from the distant past that maybe kind of doesn't quite matter all that much, but let me see if I can kind of make it into something that's uh, worth our attention here today. So there was an online conversation taking place yesterday. Our buddy Wes Blankenship was a part of that. And Matt Stinchcomb, the brother of our John Stinchcomb, of course, John joins us each and every week here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Thart. Matt, his brother, also a media figure as well, SEC Network, great former dog, of course, uh, on his way into the uh, High School Football Hall of Fame here in the state of Georgia, here coming up very soon there, too. But they're kind of talking about whatever, and I don't even really know what the genesis of the conversation was. But Matt Stinchcomb, in the midst of this Twitter conversation, shared a letter from the great former Georgia uh defensive coordinator went on to be a successful head coach at georgia southern but a lot of georgia fans remember him as the defensive coordinator back in the junkyard dog era when georgia won the national championship in 1980 that's Eric russell now i wasn't aware of this a lot of you seem to be but man i had a really good time reading this letter yesterday and then i kind of went on to kind of read a lot more about this let me show this to you for a second from our buddy matt on twitter and then we'll uh kind of get into the letter itself so matt kind of put this out there it's a letter from uh, russell and one of the great lines that the letter includes uh matt calls it the greatest opening and closing line to any letter perhaps even in all of literatures penned by the great Eric russell that's so that's kind of the setup for matt stinchcomb on this our good friend who was kind of a part of a twitter conversation about this yesterday and i want to briefly kind of read this letter to you and sort of set up a Georgia football conversation around this letter here today. So uh, I think we have the letter from Matt's tweet. I want to read this. Now, first of all, let me say this. How cool is it that Irk Russell, who if you know anything about Russell, you know this, the thing that he was famous for, bald head, he would, and this is obviously not really socially acceptable in 2022, but back then with his bald head, he would like ram his bald head against the player's helmets to the point that Russell was, as they say in pro wrestling, sort of juicing like right there. Like he had just have blood streaming down his face before the game. <laughs> that was the way that he would get fired up for stuff back then. And obviously every Georgia fan kind of got fired up around that too. But the, the same guy that would slam his head against a player wearing a helmet to the point that, that, that Russell bled also sat down at a typewriter and typed out a letter like, I mean, don't you love the fact that that's the same guy that typing out a letter on a typewriter doing the ding, you know, like, but also like bleeding from the forehead before a game. I mean, folks, we really used to have a culture like, like a guy like Russell to be that sort of multifaceted that or fascinated, faceted, I mean to say, I mean, we used to have a culture with guys like Russell uh, being comfortable doing all of that. But let me show you, let me just read the letter to you because this is, this is great. So he is pinning this letter to his players prior to the start of the 1980 season. Now, you know how that ends. So what Russell writes is, gentlemen, 
and lineman in parentheses, which is sort of a great start all the way around. Like this is, I mean, Matt Stinchcomb calls it literature. I think it probably was. And it was written July 7th, 1980. He says, the football season of 1980 will be my 17th as a Georgia Bulldog. This is Eric Russell writing here. During this time, there have been many thrilling Saturdays of competition, each with its individual memories because each game has its own personality. There are two Saturday traditions and experiences which we have remained, which have remained basically the same throughout the years for me, and I'd like to share them with you. The first one concerns the railroad track crowd. He puts this in all caps. He says, these are my people because they love the dogs almost as much as I do. Oh, I know they do some crazy things like turning over our opponent's buses sometimes, and now and then they throw one another down the bank. <laughs> into the street below but they stamp out kudzu and they pull for us to win and that ain't bad russell goes on to write if you can get off the bus to the cheers the railroad it says if you can get off the bus to the cheers the railroad track crowd and walk down those steps to the dressing room and not be inspired to play football as best as you possibly can something important is missing beneath the georgia jersey you wear like this is really is this is one of the great letters of all time he says it is impossible not to be inspired they choke me up now this is what russell writes and this is really cool he says the season of 1980 will be the last for the railroad track crowd a great georgia tradition will have passed with a new addition to our stadium the view from the tracks will be no more your team will be the last georgia team to be greeted and cheered by the railroad track crowd wouldn't it be fitting if their last team was also the best georgia team ever think about it he goes on to write this Another Saturday tradition which has meant so much to me over the years can be stated very simply. There ain't nothing like being a Bulldog on Saturday night after winning a football game. Uh, he goes on to say, I mean like whooping Tennessee to start the season and then 10 more and then another one. Now here's how he clo closes the letter, and this is great. He says, this is the game plan. We have no alternate plan. And he signs it, sincerely, Coach Russell, Erskine Russell, the assistant head football coach, of the Georgia Bulldogs. So a couple of things there really quickly. So I, I kind of went and looked at this because this is before my time. I really have no living memory of any of this. But the east end zone at Georgia now is completely filled in, and it kind of makes sort of a horseshoe look for the stadium. But prior to the 1980 season, or I should say, you know, post-1980, or 1980 and before I was what I mean to say, that end zone section of bleachers was not there. And I went back and looked online, saw some pictures of this. You can actually see it's actually a really cool look, the way in which San Versadium looked back then where folks were sitting on the railroad tracks. And I read a lot of stories about this. There was a bunch of wild stuff that went on there. It's almost like what you sort of think of as like the bleachers or like the, uh, the rooftop buildings in Wrigley Field, something like that. Like the photos that I saw kind of cave off that vibe. I don't want to share them with you live on video that they're not my photos i don't own them so i don't want to share that with you but you can go find it online it's not hard to find and it's it's a really cool look and uh russell saying we want to play for these people the railroad track crowd that's my people well guess what i think you know in the spirit of this show that lives on far long after the railroad track crowd is done hopefully the same thing is true for us there as well that this show exists for the railroad track crowd this show exists for the sort of cat you know the the common man georgia fan who you know uh just likes the dogs and wants to root on them and wants to inspire the team to play better the way the railroad track crowd may have in Eric russell's day let it be so that we live on for the railroad track crowd here on dog nation daily presented by merriweather and tharp at least i hope that's the case but it's also the end of the video, or I should say the letter there from Russell that I just love. 
this is our game plan. We have no alternate plan. And I think as we move ahead to 2022, I hope that Georgia fans adopt that same mindset. Because that's what seems to be the debate right now, right? Hey, Georgia got over the hump and they won the national championship of 2021. But should they accept an alternate plan for the upcoming season? Should they settle for less than that in the upcoming season? Should they be left to assume that the team they have this year is not up to the standard of what it was in the 2021 season? Well, my guess is if Georgia coaches who are, I think, just as spirited as Russell was back in his day, or at least they embodied some of that same spirit, I think if they were to communicate right now their feelings about the upcoming year, I think they would also say, hey, we have no alternate plan. What we did a year ago, pushing towards a national championship that is also what we want to push forward in this upcoming year there as well and selling for less than that is not the kind of thing that we're going to be okay with and as you head towards the upcoming year I think Georgia fans should you know maybe raise their level of confidence sort of I think Georgia fans should be justified in raising their level of expectation and I want to speak for a minute here about why and kind of shift gears to a slightly different topic here for a moment I think when you look at who George is most commonly compared to for the upcoming season, I think you see some interesting things to start to emerge. Now, some of this is like Georgia versus Alabama. You know, we do a lot of, hey, how does Georgia compare against Alabama? Alabama has sort of stood as Georgia's longtime arch nemesis. The Dogs finally got over that hump last year. We have done no shortage of topics and conversations related to Georgia and its comparison with Alabama. Let's not do that for a moment, though. Let's look at Ohio State. That's the other team that Georgia is often compared to and in this year's preseason rankings. Ohio State's going to probably be ranked ahead of UGA. Let's compare Georgia and Ohio State for a moment because I thought yesterday, Ohio State head coach Ryan Day, speaking at Big Ten Media Days, I thought he said something that's pretty interesting. And even though what he said was not about Georgia, to me, it's a absolute signal. It's an absolute representation of why, to use Irk Russell's line here, Georgia fans should have no alternate plan for this upcoming season other than competing at the highest level for the national championship all over again. Let me show you this. So you know the story for Ohio State a year ago. They were very good offensively, probably maybe the nation's best offense, at least alongside Alabama in that discussion, but they were not good defensively at all. And over the course of this offseason, they've hired a new defensive coordinator. His name is Jim Knowles. He comes from Oklahoma State. He did a good job there. And he is being tasked with a big transformation for the Buckeyes. Let me show you the quote here from Ryan Day on this about the expectations that Day has for Knowles as he steps into the defensive coordinator position there at Ohio State. A day says at Big Ten Media Days, in terms of expectations, we expect a top 10 defense. That's what we want. When we've played our best football, it's because we've played really good defense. We've been balanced. and We've played complementary football. That's Ryan Day at Ohio State speaking at Big Ten Media Days. So what Day says is, now this is a team that's going to be picked by many to win the national championship. They're going to be ranked ahead of Georgia in the preseason poll. And what Day is saying is, we expect to have a top 10 defense. Now, what I'd say in response to that is, well, it's great that's your expectation, But I would also say if you want to win the national championship this year, that's a requirement that you better be top 10 in defense and top 10 in offense. And for Ohio State, that's going to be a dramatic leap forward over where it was a year ago, which kind of brings us back to Georgia here for a moment. But if you've got a coach like Ohio State's Ryan Day having that kind of big talk at Big Ten media days, once again, I think it shines the light on kind of where a program like that is to start the upcoming season compared to 
I think, the much more favorable position that Georgia finds itself in. I want to give you a couple of numbers here. That when it comes to Ohio State producing a top 10 defense, and my belief that you have to have a top 10 offense and defense in order to be able to win the national championship, something that Georgia did last year. Georgia's actually top five in both categories, really. Uh, Alabama, the only other team to be in the top 10, that's kind of stands the testament. If you're not very, very good, top 10 level on both sides of the ball, you're probably going to fall short of winning the national championship. That's why Ohio State didn't even make the playoff a year ago. The Buckeyes have a lot of ground to make up for if they want to make good on Day's prediction they'll be top 10 by the year's done. Let me give you a couple of numbers here. Think about a very simple stat, one we can all understand, like the number of points you give up. Obviously, offensively last year, Ohio State was great. They were number one in points scored per game for the entire country last year. Do you know that defensively they were just 38th? 38th. They were 38th in the country last year in the number of points they allowed on a per-game basis. If you care about fancy stats like ESPN's Football Power Index, uh, no surprise here that Ohio State was the number one rated offense according to ESPN FPI last season. Their defense, though, just 43rd. Now think about this. There are a lot of people who think Ohio State is a more likely national championship team than Georgia here this year. And to become that, they have to be what Day says he believes they will be, a top 10 defense. But my gosh, what a big leap forward that has to be to go from being 43rd in the analytics rankings, uh, 38th in the sort of simple scoring category, to inside the top 10. That's a huge leap forward. And by comparison, Georgia is in nowhere near the same kind of issue here for a moment. Georgia, by comparison, uh, as you know, they were number one last season in points allowed per game nationally. They were also number one in the ESPN FPI category in terms of uh, defensive efficiency. But their offense may be way better than people realize. Once again, that same sort of like analytic style uh, rating from ESPN had Georgia as the number two offense. And had Georgia as, uh, uh, yeah, I should say had, had Georgia as the number two offense, Georgia was also eighth in terms of the points it scored per game uh, on the offensive side of the ball a year ago. So what's more, re- what's more reasonable here? What's more realistic here for the upcoming season? The Ohio State team can go from basically 40th defensively inside the top 10 or a Georgia team that was in the top five on both sides of the ball last year can kind of try to find a way to stay in the top 10 to me it's a lot more of sort of like a sunshine pumping type thing to say Ohio State's defense can be way better for the upcoming season than it is to say that for Georgia even though it's lost some guys off last year's team can find a way to sort of statistically mirror what it did the previous year I, I just think that Georgia probably sets up to start the upcoming season better than maybe uh maybe a lot of folks kind of realize for this upcoming campaign. By the way, speaking of that Georgia offense and how it worked complementary with that Georgia defense, something that Ryan Day says uh, that he wants to do, this is something that Kirby Smart himself sort of talked about in this offseason thus far. Let's go back to June on that very topic of Kirby Smart, maybe with a lot more justifiable confidence in his offense, which is sort of thought to be the weak side of the ball for uh, UGA compared to what maybe Ryan Day is uh, for his defense. Let's listen to this going back to June. 
Well, it has because, especially last year, right now, that's all people talk about, five first-rounders on right. defense. That's an unbelievable stat. That's great. But what's overshadowed is we were one of the most explosive teams in college football last year. Now, we won a lot of games by a margin that we didn't get to continually pound people when, with explosive plays and numbers. But when you look at passes over 10 and 12 yards, we're top five, top ten in the country. So nobody even acknowledges that because they're <laughs> overshadowed by this uh, really good defense, and we'll have to be even better and even more explosive on offense this year because we probably don't have five first-rounders on our defense next year. But we've got some really explosive offensive players. Now, we've got a great offensive staff. that They did some wonderful things as far as being explosives, but we, we probably didn't get the fourth-quarter stats that some people had because early in our season we had some runs there where, where the games were out of hand. And, and, and In other words, a very good offense for Georgia a year ago could have maybe been – even better had Georgia needed that, but obviously didn't need to because of how it was coasting past almost every opponent that did play. Listen, I know I've given you a lot here. Let me see if I can kind of sum all this up here for a moment. That way back in the past, long time ago, Irk Russell said, we have no alternate plan for what we want to do here this season. We simply want to win every game. And Georgia went out and did just that. Georgia also got it done and won the national championship last year. And now there are some folks who think that maybe Georgia should be making alternate plans for this upcoming season of expecting less, selling for less than another push towards a championship. But when you listen to what programs who are kind of on paper thought to be better than Georgia are saying, programs like Ohio State that were simply put bad defensively a year ago and trying to get better, actually by comparison, Georgia seems to be starting the 2022 season in actually a pretty good spot. That as you get ready as a fan to watch your team start practice next month, as it's almost on the doorstep of being here, and then begin the 2022 season shortly after that, there is no obvious reason why anyone should feel like they have a better chance of winning the national championship than Georgia does this year. Dogs were on top a year ago. They brought home the trophy. It's not obvious they plan on taking a step back here for this upcoming year. In fact, on paper, I think they actually set up pretty well. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented by Meriwether and Tharp, and we're glad to have you with us. No matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We start even earlier than that, 945. They're on dognation.com and on the Dog Nation app. We're just really glad to have you with us. No matter how you get to us on the video side of things, Radio Noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, or as a podcast, wherever you find them, Apple, Spotify, worldfamousdognation.com, lots of ways for you to connect, uh, connect with our program. We're glad you do that no matter how you do. Also, big thanks to our friends at Merriweather and Tharp for making it all possible. And listen, it's fun to talk about Georgia football. It's fun to get excited about the upcoming season. But a lot of you, though, are not excited about the current season of your life you find yourself in, the year that you're having, because maybe it's a reminder to you that you're in a relationship that's kind of coming untethered, that that is almost coming to an end. And if you're like me or like a lot of people in our audience, Maybe you've done everything you can to try to save that relationship, hold on to that marriage, and in some cases, it just doesn't work, and I hate that. But what I can tell you is, is if you need to make the decision to move on, and if divorce is the next thing in the picture for you, my friends at Meriwether and Tharp can be your source for Georgia divorce. What that means is, is they can allow their expertise, the intricacies of the law they understand, the way in which that can be leveraged to your benefit, they can put all that to work for you, and they can set you up for a great deal of success on the other side of this divorce situation you might be finding yourself going through. I love the way in which they 
really step up and serve people. And a lot of this happens before you even hire them to be uh, the ones that handle your divorce. A lot of this is free resources. If you go to their website, theatlantadivorceteam.com, that website, once again, theatlantadivorceteam.com, here's what you're going to see. Lots of blog posts, lots of podcasts, lots of resources that you can use to educate yourself. And then I think one of the best ways that can be you know, used is when you have that free initial consultation with one of their attorneys, you have better questions asked, you have a little bit deeper understanding of what you might be going through, and then you're more able to hear the expertise they want to provide for you. So check out the website, theatlantadivorceteam.com. Reach out, have that free initial consultation with one of their attorneys, and uh, go along a path with Meriwether and Tharp towards a happier conclusion to what may not be uh, a great story for you right now, but it can have a happier ending based on what you do with Meriwether and Tharp. So make sure you find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce. All right, we're going to talk to Terrence Edwards here in a moment. Uh, Georgia's got some interesting news as it relates to wide receivers, including a big commitment. We'll get to Terrence on all of that coming up here in just a moment. Before that, though, I want to set that up by going around the doghouse here and talking about the addition of Yazid Haynes yesterday, three-star receiver, uh, recent Penn State commitment, decommits from the Nittany Lions, makes the uh, move there towards Georgia. We'll show on the screen here a good-looking edit from him with the uh, red helmet, the black jersey, the red uh, pants there, or red britches, I guess Georgia fans would say. It's actually a really cool uniform combination. It looks good on Haynes as he celebrates being committed to the Georgia Bulldogs here. And, you know, I think a lot of this kind of unearths the, a certain conversation about the receiver position at Georgia. Some of this I'm, I'm going to get into a little bit more deeply tomorrow's show. But I think the immediate response to Haynes is, a lot of positivity from Georgia fans just from the standpoint that you know Penn State's you know been a kind of a recruiting power here in the 2023 cycle wrestling away a receiver that was going to Penn State probably represents a win from UGA this is a guy at one point in time was also committed to Rutgers as well and you know now he's sort of certainly if, if you're Haynes you love the fact that you kind of stair-stepped it from Rutgers to Penn State now at Georgia I think you feel really good about that he's obviously an example of a prospect on the rise here and the thing that for Georgia fans, I think they gravitate towards pretty heavily. And I'm sure if you're UGA, one of the reasons why he turned so many heads for them so quickly when he first you know, got on campus for uh, you know, camping and visiting, you know, things like that, was the fact that he does just legitimately have kind of blow you away speed. And if there's any trend that Georgia seems to be pursuing when it comes to its 2023 recruiting cycle, getting faster at the receiver position is one of those things. You know, Georgia's got, I think, a pretty good crop of uh, wide receivers here on the field for the 2022 season I don't know how much you say blazing speed is uh, a prime characteristic for many of these guys maybe with the exception of Arian and Chandler Smith those are the two guys you'd say probably have the true blow you away type speed that has not always been a hallmark of George the receiver position even for some of its best receivers but that's one of the things that a guy like Yazid Haynes seems to be bringing to the table and a lot of the receivers that George is pursuing here in this class are kind of known for that same kind of thing there as well so maybe a little bit of a shift change in terms of the kind of receivers that George is going after that's some of my early thoughts there on that I want to get some more of these from our good friend uh, Terrence Edwards and so we'll talk to him about what he likes about Haynes and kind of what it means to have that kind of speed at the receiver position his expertise on this always incredibly valuable there's also a big time receiver taking a visit to Georgia here this weekend that's kind of a fun thing to think about there too so 
let's keep the conversation going here on the heels of Georgia getting a receiver commitment yesterday from Yazid Haynes, a very fast-moving story that went from being offer to commitment really in almost no time whatsoever. So for more on that now, let's talk to Terrence Edwards here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So we'll say hello to Terrence Edwards here, uh, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. And Terrence, Georgia got itself a receiver commit yesterday. This is one of those guys, admittedly, I really didn't know at all until a couple of weeks ago gets the Georgia offer and then you know kind of very quickly uh ends up as a Georgia commitment it seems like Georgia was really impressed by the speed that he brought to the table and he's got more I would say than just speed but that's certainly the thing that seems to be kind of the standout characteristic have you seen much of Yazid Haynes obviously a Penn State wanted him he had to be a, a recruit of some caliber and now uh Georgia likes enough about him to sort of give him that committable offer and he jumps on that pretty quickly uh can you tell us anything about uh what you might have noticed if anything at all about Yazid Haynes oh most definitely uh I didn't know much about him until uh, about I guess a month ago when he did get offered and I went and you know, kind of did my background research on him and knowing that he's committed to Rutgers at one time, then committed to Penn State. So that lets you know that, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't know about him. And he kind of uh, burst onto the scene. And uh, I think Georgia somehow, some way, you know, got their hands on it. I know once B-Mac uh, became in charge of the receiving court, and I heard about him then. Um, but one thing that you do notice is about his, his flu. He's very fluid. He, he's straight line fast. But he's very fluent at the line of scrimmage, and he's very fluent at the top of his break. So that lets you know that if he has to outrun someone, he can. But if he has to be a, a controlled route runner to get in and out of break, uh, he can do that as well. Uh, so I'm very excited about this guy. I'm continuing to watch his progression. I'm going to continue to watch him. And uh, and I did know going through his Twitter feed that he did come to Georgia at one time and and did some training with the uh, DB coach OD. So he has okay. been into the Atlanta area. And uh, so hopefully I could get some eyes on him the next time he comes to just see for myself uh, him what he could do in person. So I'm very excited about this uh, receiver and, and Dog Nation should be excited as well. So as I hear you talk, there's something kind of pops in my mind. And maybe this is the wrong analogy to use, but it's my, I guess, picture in my mind based on what you're saying which is that, you know, in baseball, it's sort of thought as a pitcher, you don't want to have the same speed all the time, right? That, you know, it's you know, major league baseball players can time a freight train if you uh, show them the same velocity each and every time that you have to be able to change your speeds. And, you know, sometimes you're throwing at max velocity and sometimes you're comfortable throwing a little bit less than that. Is it the same thing for a receiver where, hey, sometimes I literally want to try to run past you, but other times I want to see if I can use, as you say, a more fluid running style to kind of create an opportunity for myself that, you know, that's not just simply trying to run past you because eventually the defensive back that's covering you sort of knows what's coming. Is, is that kind of what that's about? Most definitely. And um, I always try to uh, watch kids and, and try to understand who their game's patterned after. And this probably will get the Georgia uh, faithful kind of excited. Not saying he was going to have the same production that his kids, but he, his body style and his receiving skills remind me of De uh, Devontae Smith. Uh, wow. Devontae Smith is a great route runner, but he also has the vertical speed to get past people. And I'm not saying that he's going to have that type of production, but his skill set reminds me of Devontae Smith. That's really interesting. And when it comes to receiver position in particular, it seems like sometimes this is a position that we see be 
maybe a little later developing because so much of this is about taking raw athleticism and turn it into something that's a little bit more polished you know the kind of thing where you do have those ball skills or that ability to kind of understand the route tree you know what is it about the receiver position in particular that allows a guy like Haynes to kind of not really be on the radar of a program like Georgia and then very quickly that all changes to the point where he kind of goes from Rutgers to Penn State to Georgia seemingly you know sort of making a bigger move towards a better program with each one of those decisions what is about kind of that development as a wide receiver that sometimes it seems like it occurs over the course of a high school career heading towards college and maybe not quite always as obvious as it might be for some of the bigger players playing along the line of scrimmage things like that what is about the receiver position in particular that kind of makes that be true and you know sometimes some kids just develop later some kids just cap out earlier some kids just a physical gifted there's a lot of reason why one kid may fall up on the radar than others i mean i i could think of a a receiver, Kevin Johnson. Kevin Johnson wasn't the biggest name receiver coming out in his class, but look how he, he turned out. I think his better days uh, was more college pro than he was high school. Um, so some kids just develop faster than others. Some kids are just physically, physically better than others. Uh, and then camp circuit. The camp circuit is big. I think if he didn't do the camp circuit, which I, I don't know if he did or not, that also plays a part on have you been seen? Uh, what type of school you at that does it produce uh, players on a normal basis for scouts and everyone else who come to that school? So there's a lot of factors that factors into why he was an unknown last year. Maybe he was just an unknown nationally. It was a known up in the Philly area. There's a lot of things that, that comes into play. Uh, but just looking at the kid, um, I love that you know he was a late guy that – blossom to the scene because I tell parents all the time you don't have to be that guy that gets offers in the eighth and ninth grade your path may be a little different than others but at the end of the day we ended up at the same spot no matter when you got your offer or when you committed another guy who I think that's kind of true for a little bit is a guy named Tyler Williams four-star receiver out of uh, Lakeland Florida who and we'll show you this on on the screen here if you're watching on video announces that he's taking another visit to UGA of all of the kind of you know sort of top shelf receiver prospects in the 2023 class, this seems to be a guy that Georgia has a, a really pretty good relationship with, and as you said before, one of those guys that I think has kind of seen his reputation as a receiver really grow. Have you seen much about from Tyler Williams? This is a guy that Georgia fans I think are having some growing confidence that the dogs might be able to land. You know, there's some other receivers you're going to wait and find out on at a later date but some Georgia fans seemingly have a little bit of a growing level of confidence when it comes to Tyler Williams have you seen this uh young man out of Lakeland Florida and kind of what he brings to the table as a receiver yes I definitely watched him uh, I do know um, I'm a little biased towards him because I do know he's a quarterback last year and he transitioned to receiver this year so um he, he's very new to the receiver position but uh what I saw on film he's a very explosive uh at six five so you, you bring in a, a big body guy that can stretch the field, uh, and, and it's a good athlete. I think his his better days is is in front of him because of his uh, rawness at position and only playing the position for one year. He has he will have this year, but I do know he's one of the top guys that's on the board, and it would be a, a fantastic haul if we get the two Williams kids out of Florida. Let me ask you this about the Georgia offense overall, because I think obviously this is going to be a very important year, you know, for that on the field. It's year three of Todd Munkin getting him back. I think it's a big coup for UGA and specifically at the wide receiver position where, you know, 
Georgia doesn't necessarily have the same level of recruiting success there as it's had at other position groups. Now, uh, there are certainly plenty of talented players are on hand there. But I'm curious, do you think this is the year that Georgia has a big breakout from a statistical standpoint for a wide receiver? Because everybody expects Brock, Brock Bowers to have a great year. He had one last year. You and I have talked plenty about Eric Gilbert. I told you last week uh, that I think that, that Gilbert could really be a very big breakout player in this Georgia offense. And obviously, you get into Darnell Washington, Oscar Delp, and all those great tight ends. Georgia's incredibly deep there. But when it comes to guys who specifically wear that wide receiver label, you know, if you look at uh, what Georgia has been under Kirby Smart, you know, forget your season, 1,000 yards back in 2002. Let's just sort of think of like that sort of 700-yard mark, pushing 800 yards. That's a really big number for a Georgia receiver typically in this Smart era. Do you think this is the kind of year where a guy who is specifically a wide receiver can kind of knock on the door of that 800 yards receiving? Because that's kind of a lot for a receiver in the current era that Georgia's in. And, you know, I think there are a lot of people thinking year three, Munkin might have a chance to produce that. Do you? I do. And I think people are fixated on um, Georgia not having a thousand yard receiver uh, besides me in history. But I think it'd be a great year if we have two receivers, and I'm counting Brock in this. We have two pass catchers uh, with 800 yards or more. Uh, I personally don't see us having a receiver that's going to get 1,000 yards. Everyone knows how much I love A.D. Mitchell. Uh, I love Ladd. Uh I just don't know because we, we are so deep at the tight end position um, that we will have a 1,000-yard receiver this year. I, I do know that Georgia will, is going to open up even more because the trust factor. I mean, people just think about it. Uh, this would be the first time in how long that we'll have the same starter going into the, into the season um, since uh, uh, from Jake from right. so I think the coach are very uh, trusting of Sexton now. Uh, we all know the, the type player Sexton is. I, I know people are ready to cast Sexton out, but if you just look at his stats and his minimal amount of starts, he had 27 touchdown passes to only six interceptions, and you could take that to your bank. Imagine now if, you know, with another year and the coaches now can really expand and open up and trust Sexton with the complete playbook. Um, I can imagine him being in the, in the 35 to almost 40 passing touchdowns wow. uh, with the explosion that we have. I can see that. Um, so I, I expect the guys, the, the ball to be pushed around to a lot of different players because we have a playmaker. So I would be very happy if we have two receivers with 800 yards this season. So you mentioned the continuity of bringing back Stetson Bennett as quarterback. How much does the year three of Todd Munkin matter? Like how much more comfortable – do guys get into this and how many more buttons can a guy like Munkin push now that he's been kind of instilling the same sort of philosophical mindset and strategic I guess principles for these last couple of years how much more potential does that unlock for the Georgia offense here this year I think so I just think it unlocks everything because of the trust factor and I keep using that word the trust factor with the quarterback position uh sets have been with Munkin now for three years so they should have a report that to understand what Coach Munson is trying to do and trying to accomplish within a play. Um, so that comes that Coach uh, Smart is going to trust Stetson uh, to be the guy that we all know Stetson to be, that I know he could be. Yes, he's going to make that, those some of those plays that make you scratch your head, but that's what you got to live with because of the gamer he is. Uh, is there more talented guys than Stetson out there? Yes, but I would love, I'm glad Stetson is our quarterback. Um, He's a national champion, and now Coach Munkin can hopefully unleash 
everything that he, he, he wants to do offensively. On a completely different note here for a minute, the other day we were having some fun when uh, you and your uh, good friend Takeo Spikes got uh, put into the uh, Georgia High School Football Hall of Fame, thinking back to those great days with Rick Tomlin and his coach at Washington County. You gave a shout-out to the Dairy Lane, one of those places that you uh, enjoyed frequenting back in that era, and we had a good time with that, one of those great eating spots down there in uh, middle Georgia. Well, I got this on Twitter. Uh, I'm going to show you this on the screen here for a moment. Uh, Cowboy HBTFD sent this for me. He says, if you know, you know, at Dog Nation Daily and Terrence, I probably not watching on video but he sends a picture here of the dairy lane down there and uh that's a great throwback and a, a great memory i know many a georgia fan uh, has kind of stopped by and eaten there over the course of years especially as you kind of make that drive uh from time to time through there and it's nice to see uh cowboy hptfd on twitter sending that photo in terrence kind of throwing back to a place that i know you very much enjoy most definitely so i i think you know tell you this ba so i don't get home very much but when i do I have a gifty, gifty pleasure of going and get. We have these cheeseburgers that is royal renowned, and these sausage sandwiches with cheese is one of my favorites. How about that? So I would, I would order ten cheeseburgers, ten sausage sandwiches, and take them home and freeze them and eat them throughout. How long it takes you eating? Then my kids eat them, but I have to, I have to hoard cheeseburgers and sausage sandwiches when I go home and take them back. That's that's my guilty pleasure when I go home. Listen, there's nothing like that food from these spots that you grew up with, and they're not fancy places, right? I mean, like the places from like my I, I grew up in Hall County, like the places that that I kind of enjoy there, like it's not fancy stuff, right? You order from the counter, you sit down, you eat it. But man, I'd go back and eat that food uh, right now if I could. Absolutely, like it. it uh, that's just what sort of the stuff is, right? You just you know, those are the things you just sort of enjoy, right? Oh, most definitely, and uh, you know my my little brother. Uh, B.C. Walters' father was the owner of the Dare Lane, uh, Ben Walters back in the day, and big, big Georgia fan. So he called me the other day and very appreciative of me shouting out the Dare Lane. So I'm going to give him another shout-out. B.C., if you're listening, my little brother loves you, man. That's awesome to hear. Terrence, before we uh, let you go, remind us how we can get in touch with that Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. You're doing great things for all kinds of pass catchers, the high school and soon-to-be college players in a lot of ways. Uh, remind us how we can get in touch with you on that. Before I do that, I'd be remiss not to say this on air. Uh, my good friend, my quarterback, Quincy Carter. Uh, oh. If you haven't heard, you saw on Twitter, and he's been tweeted out. You know, Quincy was kind of the butt of jokes about his substance abuse throughout people, and, and he has been. But now, can we all send Quincy a congratulations of being three years sober? And we all understand his demons that he had to get over and three years sober now so all dog nation somehow some way reach out to quincy uh through social media through email whatever you form a way to get into in touch with quincy and send him a, a, a real encouraging text three years sober and uh, i'm proud of my brother i'm proud of my friend i'm proud of my quarterback but on that note you can find me at all social media, Terrence Elwood's wide receiver academy. Terrence, I'm so glad you said that because I saw that on uh, social media there as well. Three years sober is a real accomplishment, and it's a great celebration. And we had Quincy on the show about a year or so ago. I had, I had a blast talking to him on the show. It was my first time really getting a chance to speak to him. And 
I, I do think this is one of those things that years later, like you said, you know, butt of jokes, whatever else, which is obviously a sad thing. But but years later, I, I do think the entire career of Quincy Carter is being reconsidered. I saw where DJ Shockley said one of the reasons why he wore threes because of the way in which I guess Quincy made that number famous when he was at Southwest Cab. Uh, yeah, there you go uh, uh, on, on the screen right there. Uh, Quincy Carter says three years clean and sober today and his caption for his photo going back to his Southwest Cab days was I'm starting to feel like this guy again which is that's really good meaning he feels like his old self back when he was a, a young player growing up and and Terrence you know I'll tell you this going back and re-watching some of those uh, fun Quincy games 98 on the road at LSU comes to mind here you know that's some good highlights you know Quincy big arm great athlete really good baseball player in high school a lot of people forget that there as well um I just love to see where he's at now I know he's also doing some great coaching working with some quarterbacks and things like that I guess he's in the state of Texas I believe uh doing that but um it's a great accomplishment 36 months sober is no joke that is a that is a lot of work that goes in to something like that and I'm just happy to see him in such a good place and I'm happy to know that in a lot of ways, some of the fun moments he had as a football player, a great high school player at Southwest DeKalb, you know, uh, second round draft pick, I guess, of the uh, Dallas Cowboys and some fun moments as a Georgia uh, Bulldog there as well. I'm glad to seeing some of that getting the reconsideration that it deserves. Most definitely. I, I, I talk to him very often and, and I just want to say that to my brother that, you know, that's that hard work. I, I, I don't know the word because I'm not in that situation, but I only can imagine how much uh, work he has to put into, you know, being clean for, for three years. And we just continue to send out blessings and prayers to him that he continue on this path. Plus, if you want to know how good he was, you know, coming out of high school, coming to a place like Georgia, when he first showed up on campus, there are about nine quarterbacks who transferred the next day, it seems like. They took look, took one look at him and that big arm and his athleticism, and they said, my best chance of playing is going somewhere else. I think Georgia had a record number of quarterbacks transfer out of the program basically the first day he stepped on campus. Oh, most definitely. There's a lot of quarterbacks uh, transferred out, and, uh, I, and I could be happy. John England. I decided to give up football, and I had 19 in my first spring, and I did not want to be prepared to hide because that's the position I was taking. So my very first spring, people probably don't know, I wore 19. As soon as John England decided to give up football, I ran up to Coach Dunn's office. Please, can I have number eight? I, I got to get out of this 19. So fun fact story for you today, B.A., guess I got eight because I wore 19 my very first spring, and I didn't want to be in that highest category because I was playing the same position, been missing about being high 2.0, besides being the, the blocker he was. And I had to get out of 19 to get eight, and that's how I got eight, because the Quincy came in, John decided to give up football, and I jumped the coach gun, and can I get eight, and that's how I got eight. Man, that's a good story, Terrence. Thanks for sharing that. That's uh, really good stuff. I appreciate your time here today. Always love talking to you, and we'll look forward to having you back here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Mary Weather and Tharp again very soon. Thank you, B.A. Good stuff. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So this is actually a pretty good topic for maybe another day. When you look at numbers, you know, Georgia Jersey numbers, like there are a couple of numbers that have a pretty good history connected to them. And 19 is one of them. And I don't fault Terrence Edwards at all for saying, hey, I want to wear Heinz Ward's jersey because as Terrence said, you know, given his sort of versatility as an athlete the fact that he was a high school quarterback 
he was naturally going to draw that comparison. It's going to be hard enough for Terrence as it is because his brother Robert was a great player. So you're already getting the comparison to Robert. The last thing you want is to be like, he's Robert Edwards if he was crossed with Heinz Ward. Like, that's not a level of uh, expectation you want to attach to any player coming to the program. So angling out of wearing that number 19 is um, – I think that's a smart thing to do. And, and the number 19 all, all the way around – like that's a pretty, that's a pretty valuable number in Georgia football history, right? You had uh, Hines who wore it. Uh, Charles Grant was nineteen, right? Um, and you know, for other guys who've been kind of stuck with that nineteen number, I would would say uh, Mudcat Elmore had that. That it, it does kind of become a little bit of a of, of a burden. I'm not saying it's necessarily a historic number. Not every Georgia fan kind of walks around with that sort of working knowledge. But uh, 19 has a lot of history to it. A lot of good players have worn it. It's been a very valuable number at UGA. Uh, and it's easy to kind of understand why why uh, Terrence would have tried to avoid that if he could and get that number eight, which when I think of Terrence Edwards, that's the number that I think of him wearing. Another number like that's 47. Dan Jackson's wearing 47 right now. But Terrence's brother Robert wore 47. David Pollock wore 47. It's another one of those numbers that's had a pretty, you know, kind of both sides of the ball type thing kind of a versatile history there with the UGA kind of fun to think about the numbers not like all the different players who've worn it the 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 jersey numbers that have been most valuable for UGA over the years number 19 would definitely be one of those that's a good story from Terrence Edwards there on that all right we're gonna get ready to go cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean here before we do let me remind you about my friends at Royal Caribbean Great chance for you to plan your Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. True story. As I am uh, talking to you here right now, I got a uh, message 10 minutes ago uh, via email about a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation I have coming up in the month of February. This is a true story. This is happening actually live as we're speaking. Uh, Already kind of making plans for doing that. I'm hopeful that next February when I take my Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, I am in just as good a mood as I was last February when I took a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Obviously, I'll be in a great mood about taking the cruise no matter what, but for me, that cruise last winter ended up being sort of a celebration of what had been a great year, a celebration of a Georgia National Championship and a really fun year for growth for Dog Nation as we covered all of that. Boy, I hope to be in a similar place as I am on the the seas with Royal Caribbean here across the Caribbean coming up uh, this upcoming February there as well. Now, the good news for you is, you don't have to wait until february to take your next royal caribbean cruise you can take one right now or maybe it's your first royal caribbean cruise vacation trust me when i tell you this it is as much fun as i say it uh um is if you think you'd love it i promise you would and if you're skeptical that you might trust me when i tell you i think you'll have a blast and our friends at the cruise and vacation authority can help you with that even more they can help you pick the royal caribbean cruise vacation that's perfect for you so find them online tcava.com that's the website tcava.com that is the website or give them a call 770-952-8300 that's 770-952-8300 you can find them today i want to get a few stories here as we go cruise around the sec for a moment with royal caribbean uh yesterday as expected five-star safety caleb downs chose alabama over georgia and ohio state this is a very good player georgia got an elite safety last saturday but would have liked to have had another one when it comes to downs and for whatever reason, this one just never really happened. Uh, Downs a terrific player at Mill Creek. He's setting up for a really fun uh, senior season. Mill Creek going to be a part of our coverage of the uh, Corky Kell Classic coming up uh, really just a few weeks. Uh, so we get a chance to see uh, Downs in person on TV there for that event. 
But it just seems like it was never really Georgia. For a long time, it was Ohio State, not Georgia. Now it's Alabama, the official commitment winner. Once again, still just not Georgia. This one just never really got off the ground, and now it's done. And sometimes it's just as easy to predict as you imagine it would be. Pretty much everybody thought Downs was going to Alabama, and that's exactly what he did. This was also kind of fun yesterday. So Missouri coach Eli Drinkwitz, who's a pretty cool person out, and I don't want to say cool. I think what makes him fun is the fact that he's sort of not cool and sort of unapologetically uncool. But Drinkwitz goes on the Jim Rome show. I was being asked about his record. But he sort of shot back at Tennessee here in the uh, um, the recruiting that, that uh, infractions involved in the Jeremy Pruitt era, saying that some of those wins for Tennessee are going to be vacated and he might be getting a couple of wins back. I actually don't know that it works that way. If a, if a win is vacated, I don't think the other side gets the win. I just think the game is sort of rendered a, uh, a, a no contest, I think. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But there is sort of some weird bad blood. Like, if you're really deep in the SEC, you kind of know this, is that two teams in the SEC that sort of secretly hate each other are Tennessee and Missouri. They fought over a few recruits from time to time. And there has been a little bit of bad blood between the Tigers and the Vols, two teams that you would think of having no relationship whatsoever. They secretly have kind of gone back and forth here a little bit. Some of that, like, sort of like hat toss, uh, you know, recruiting stuff, like some of this has been, and the specific names are escaping me because they're so far below Georgia's radar, you don't even notice. But they've had some of this back and forth a little bit. So Drinkwitz kind of doing, uh, you know, something that a lot of SEC coaches don't do, which is going on a national radio show, old school Jim Rome, uh, and basically taking a shot at Tennessee. Now, I kind of halfway wondered, this is sort of, a, I guess, a PG-13 version of that. It's not, not too serious. But it seems like the other day the commissioner was kind of putting it out there that he didn't want any more public airing of grievances, that if you had an issue, speak about it privately, don't speak about it publicly. I wonder if what Drinkwitz did in kind of calling out Tennessee via the national radio show kind of runs afoul of what the commissioner wants in the aftermath of the Nick Saban-Jimbo Fisher showdown. Don't quite know. This wasn't too intense necessarily. But uh, Drinkwitz, once again, kind of proving to be the kind of coach that's not afraid to speak his mind. Uh, Lane Kiffin has also spoken out as well. He was obviously asked about uh, the comments from Matt Corral, where Corral certainly strongly insinuated that he regretted choosing Ole Miss. I thought that Kiffin's response to this was probably pretty good from a PR standpoint, basically saying that he wasn't there when Corral first got there. That's obviously going back to the Matt Luke era. But essentially saying, hey, you know, Matt Corral starting in his NFL career, this won't be the first time that he misspeaks about something. And Kiffin basically insinuated that Corral would probably like to have that statement back and almost kind of acting sort of a sort of a gracious and forgiving way for the fact that Corral kind of, as Kiffin would say, misspoke about not wishing he would have gone to Ole Miss. That's probably cleaning up a little bit of a mess on behalf of his quarterback. I think from a PR standpoint, that's probably pretty cool and, and, and probably you know pretty well done there by Kiffin. But here's the thing. We keep coming back to this when it comes to a guy like Lane Kiffin. You have to be very careful about stuff like this, that if you create a transactional relationship as coach with player, eventually your players will create the same kind of relationship with you. And you've seen the T-shirts that Ole Miss kind of brags about, that Kiffin tweets about, that transfer to the SIP. The, and the, the, the SIP is what they call Mississippi. You know, the idea that that Ole Miss wants to kind of run this sort of mercenary style program with soldiers for hire, 
they sort of bring in for one year and get the most out of them, let those guys kind of move on to go to the next place. In some cases, the NFL, some case it may be another transfer somewhere else in future years. When you create that kind of transactional relationship for your program, eventually your players will see it the same way. It almost seems like what Lane Kiffin has established the Ole Miss football program as is sort of an AAU basketball team where everybody's here for a reason, not for a season, that they're just sort of here to, you know, kind of sort of further themselves as football players and they move on with like no level of sentimentality about the program whatsoever. And we don't have to look very far to see another example in the SEC of how this doesn't really kind of work out. Like, look at Kentucky basketball. Kentucky basketball has been, like, first or second in recruiting almost every year, basically every year since since uh, John Calipari's been head coach. But, y'all, they don't win anything. They haven't won anything in forever. Uh, they're, uh, you know, consistently – I mean, you can set your watch to them being a massive flop disappointment come March. NBA talent galore. Recruiting rankings, they're at the top every single year. But – there is something about team sports about needing to be a team. And if everybody is there because it's kind of the hot place to be as a sort of a short stopover until I'm old enough to be in the NBA, it's just hard to get the kind of buy-in you need from a team there in that regard. And Kentucky basketball is the perfect example of that. The level of talent they've had does not produce the kind of winning that it should because, frankly, nobody really seems to care very much about where they are while they're there. And I think that on a much lesser plane, that's what a program like Ole Miss has the danger of becoming if all Lane Kiffin's going to do is go out and kind of find the sort of uh, you know transfer-type player that also has very little tie to the program. It's also one of those things as a Georgia fan. When you hear former Georgia players on their way to the NFL saying something very different, when you hear former Georgia players saying about their time at UGA, how much they enjoyed it, how much they feel proud to have been a part of it, when you see videos of the national championship celebration, you see former Georgia players back in that locker room uh, really proud to see what players after them did. I'm thinking about DeAndre Swift in particular here. When you see that go on, don't take that for granted. It's not that way everywhere else. I don't believe it's that way at Lane Kiffin's Ole Miss, even though people fall all over themselves to sort of praise Kiffin as a coach. I don't think he's creating the kind of program there with the Rebels that has permanence. And listen, Ole Miss has never been a big winner, but this is a program that does have some history. This is a program that does have some pride. And kind of what they're becoming if their quarterback goes on the NFL and sort of shows the sort of flippant disregard to say, I wish I would have played somewhere else, that's Kiffin making Ole Miss into something less than what it used to be. And uh, it's hard not to notice that. One more thing to get to here really, really quick. So we mentioned earlier that Big Ten media days are going on, and one of the things that's kind of coming up there and sort of a big topic, the things that Commissioner Kevin Warren has to say. Now, much the same way that a lot of folks were very interested in speaking to Greg Sankey at SEC media days recently, Warren kind of the same way. Very interesting to note that one of the things that, that Warren at one point in time was heavy pushing for all of a sudden now, he's not quite so interested in that anymore. You know, the idea that in playoff expansion, you would have to guarantee a spot in the playoff for Power 5 conference champions. That was a real sticking point for Warren as recently as a few weeks ago. All of a sudden now, that's no longer true. And man, I just think this speaks to kind of exactly what he is as a leader and the kind of mediocrity that seems to rise to the top when it comes to the Big Ten. It just seems like he, as a little bit of a stand-in for the whims of the Big Ten University presidents, is willing to change his tone 
and completely adopt a, a totally different mindset because that's what suits the league in the moment. This was true back in 2020 when the league was adamant that the season had to be canceled. And then once the SEC showed a healthy and safe way to play, all of a sudden now tail tucked between its legs. It sort of followed in the SEC's footsteps. And now you've got the same kind of thing that when uh, the SEC seemed like it was way out in front of the rest of college football by adding Oklahoma and Texas, all of a sudden Kevin Warren didn't want to cooperate. The Big Ten, represented by Warren, didn't want to cooperate anymore with playoff expansion because he thought it benefited the SEC way more than it benefited his league. Well, now his league's at USC and UCLA, and just like that, a man with seemingly no guiding principles whatsoever, all of a sudden now he's fine with playoff expansion without guaranteed spots for for uh conference champions because all of a sudden now he feels like he has a power league that sort of uh rivals what the sec brings the table as they get ready to add the two schools from los angeles make no mistake about this as the sec and the big 10 kind of move forward as clearly the two leagues far ahead of the rest there are also great differences between the two leagues themselves too they are partitioned off from the rest of college football because of their size and their revenue and everything else but the way in which these two leagues go about their business could not be more different. And this has more to do than just the fact that the SEC has the far better players. I think it has the far better leadership there as well. You can say what you want about Greg Sankey. I believe for the most part Sankey's been very consistent throughout everything. Warren, by comparison, simply hasn't been. And I think in the future when we start talking about competing visions of the sport, Sankey representing the SEC I just think has a much better vision for the future than what Kevin Warren seems to have there for the Big Ten and the sort of odd backtracking and sort of tune changing that it's gone on this week at, at, at Big Ten Media Days is the perfect example of that we'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean I'll also remind you that tomorrow I believe it's tomorrow tomorrow certainly it ends this week because we're about to start making these announcements yes, tomorrow is the last day for our kroger five-star kids nomination it's a really cool thing we want your child or a child that you know to be a part of our nomination process to have a chance to be one of our kroger five-star kid winners we're going to draw five winners at random starting the week of august 1st which is next week we're going to announce uh, those five winners here on the show but there is still some time for you to get that nomination in go to info at dognation.com send the email there info at dognation.com tell us why a child that you know or your own child should be one of our kroger five-star kids and if your child is one of our winners they're going to get a great package of gifts including uh, a collection of gift cards worth 250 dollars including a big one there from kroger also a kroger dog nation five-star kids t-shirt there as well so it's some really great stuff we want you to be a part of it send your nomination in the email address info at dognation.com. You can also visit dognation.com if you want some more details on this as well, courtesy of our friends at Kroger. All right, signing off here today, a couple of golden shoes to do so. We always like to give out the golden shoes as a way of making fun of those lousy, stinking gators. And today, let me show you the first one here. Our buddy Mad Dog, always excellent. Here's his for today, saying other coaches may be cool, but they're not skydiving on the back of a great white shark while shooting pistols in the air cool. And you see Kirby Smart doing just that, or at least a rendition of Smart doing that in the uh, picture here from our buddy Mad Dog. That's really good stuff. Stephen Burton also sent this there as well. He says he got a, uh, I guess it's a replica national championship ring. It looks like Jordan Davis's replica ring. It, can you buy these? Is that what this is? That's incredible. I'd love to have one of those. I've got one of the Braves replica rings. Have not seen the chance to get a Georgia one, but that's really cool there 
obviously uh, replicating what Jordan Davis got. Steven also told me on social media he's going to Ric Flair's last match this weekend too. So Burton here, very cool in a couple of fronts there on that. Let me tell you what's not cool, though. It's those lousy, stinking Gators. How about a long, long time since they won a national championship? 4949, 4,949 days. And Gator Hater Countdown back in Jacksonville. 93 days from right now. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see all of you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. And on the podcast, time now for your R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. We appreciate you being with us, and we appreciate you checking out R.S. Andrews online at rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. Jim Dog 85 sent me an interesting comment at dognation.com. He says, hey, B.A., I also started going to Georgia games in the 80s, and you are right about the home atmosphere. I can remember when there was discussion in the media about how Sanford Stadium wasn't as loud as some other stadiums because of the open end, and that lets all the sound out. Stadiums like Tennessee and LSU were considered better because they are enclosed bowls. He says, as a big dog fan, I never bought into all that. He says the open end is one of the things that makes Dooley Field special. I love to stand on the bridge and look into the stadium and the new West Stands. Entry gate is awe-inspiring. He says, that said, the addition of the 600 level on the north side added some extra height to the stadium, not to mention more screaming fans. And it probably does help reflect the, the sound back toward the field. Those snide comments about Sanford Stadium not being as loud seem to fade away once the total attendance grew to 92 plus thousand. He says, dog fans have always known that we have the best home stadium and and home field advantage in college football. Having a team that's kicking butt and taking names helps the atmosphere as well. So I think that Jim Dog brings up a lot of pretty good points. And there is probably something to some of the structural acoustic type things that he's mentioning there. But here's my theory on the Georgia crowds and how things have changed. And there's a chance that I'm wrong about this because I'm reflecting back to a time in which I was pretty young. But here's the sense that I got. I've always sort of gotten the feeling a little bit that the Sanford Stadium on-campus experience in Athens is a little bit like Wrigley Field. Now, I made the comparison to Wrigley Field a little earlier today on on the show related to when the east end zone used to be open before I was born and the way in which you had folks sitting on the railroad tracks like they would have sat on um, on the rooftops there at Wrigley Field. I mean something slightly different now. What I mean by this is, is that people have always kind of felt like visiting the UGA campus being here for game day is a great experience and much the same way for a long time Cubs fans sat out in the bleachers and drank their beer and had a good time and just enjoyed the experience of being at Wrigley Field regardless of the outcome of a game I sort of get the impression in kind of post Herschel pre maybe pre Mark Richt world there was some of that related to Georgia fans in Sanford Stadium and if you were older than me during that era you may say something different and honestly your opinion would matter to me because you have a better memory of this than I probably do but I sort of feel like I remember a time in which it was kind of somewhat common that some students would come a little late to games maybe leave a little early you know wanting to get back to the tailgate but the overall vibe around Georgia football was like the biggest party in the south but not necessarily there to be impactful for games. And somewhere along the way, that just sort of changed. Now, it would be easy to say that that changed in the Kirby Smart era because the team got way better. But I think it actually changed before that. The very first, and I said before, some of you may have a slightly different opinion than me on this, and I would respect your difference. But to me, the very first great home crowd 
at Sanford Stadium that I have really vivid memory of was the LSU game in 2004. It's, it may be wrong to say that was that was the 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 first time it was great. That may be the wrong way to say. It. Let me say it a different way. That was the best I had ever seen it be. That was a stadium there that day from an atmosphere standpoint that rivaled anything that had ever happened prior to that. And I think some of that was in response to Georgia had been to LSU in 2003, treated very hostily by that crowd, and wanted to respond in in kind fashion. Uh, when LSU came back to Georgia in 2004. And really, it's kind of a fun game to go back and revisit because Nick Saban was coach of LSU that day. And Georgia clobbered them, clobbered them. And the fans were a huge part of it, huge part of it. Kind of the same kind of thing you see happening now where from the very jump, the fans were just all over uh, LSU and Georgia just kept building its lead on the basis of all that. So the the transition of Sanford Stadium as an impactful st- venue I think actually occurred pre-Kirby Smart and you can say through the up and down years that Coach Rick was involved in maybe the stadium atmosphere got better or not depending on what the what the situation was around the game maybe that's the case but now I think we we exist in a time in which you know the Athens campus is still as good a place to tailgate as anywhere the overall scenery around the campus in more ways than one is as beautiful as you're going to encounter anywhere we we get all of that but it's not quite such a touristy crowd anymore. It's not just quite so much a bunch of people who are there to kind of enjoy the party and the game is kind of the excuse to have the party. The sense that I get is, and this is just kind of my perception of this and maybe your perception of this is different than mine, but my perception is is this is a crowd by and large led by some great students and a lot of you know, uh, people who are kind of post-student life they're adults now but they're there to make noise and stand up and cheer and and and, you know you know try to get behind their team there as well the actual in stadium atmosphere i just think is way more intense now than it used to be and my description of kind of how it changed and why it used to be the way it was who knows if i'm right or not but that's kind of the perception i've sort of always had um but it's an interesting thought from jim dog 85 there on that too we appreciate you being here and look forward to having this conversation if you want to respond to Anything we ever say during the podcast cool down, we'd certainly invite you to do that. And your comments always make this portion of the show much more fun to do. So please hit me up on Twitter at DogNationDaily or in the comment section when we post the show at DogNation.com. And we'll come back and do all of this with you again tomorrow to close out the week. Here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Meriwether and Tharp. Big thanks to R.S. Andrews for making the cool down possible. Check them out online at rsandrews.com. Get your air conditioning unit tuned back up to factory fresh specs. You can do that. It only costs you 99 bucks. So make sure you find them today. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody.